0: If you have a Bible, you can open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. We'll look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. Luke 6, 1 through 5, which is uh, about the Sabbath. Um, The fourth commandment is about the Sabbath, the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Uh, The commandment to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, it's probably the most confusing of the Ten Commandments, uh, generally in our culture, and then maybe even uh, in the church, um, our culture really has no idea what to make of the Sabbath. Um, it's a, it's a day off, and hey, we'd like to have two of those, so let's make a weekend. And um, <clears throat> but you know, this is not keeping it holy like uh, like it's commanded in Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy, but. It's also a huge question in the minds of many Christians. And the church mostly kind of agrees uh, that we observe the Sabbath Sabbath now on the, um, the first day of the week rather than the last because the day when Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Um, but beyond that, people get into debates about the, the purpose and the nature of the Sabbath. Um, and those debates uh, are raging on, but most of us probably can't help but ask the questions, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, right? Or what am I not supposed to do on the Lord's Day? Kind of at a basic level, those are the questions that we all, I think we feel like we just have to ask those questions. What are we supposed to do or not do on the Lord's Day? And maybe we feel sort of a nagging uncertainty about uh, whether we're doing it right. Um, so maybe we just kind of ignore it and hope the problem goes away, um, but I, I don't think that those are the, the primary questions that we're supposed to be asking about the Sabbath. What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? And when we get stuck on those questions, I think it reveals that something is wrong uh, inside of us, something wrong with our conception of the Sabbath. And our text this morning, um, it's, it's very helpful to us in, in more than just thinking about the Sabbath in particular, but the Sabbath is kind of the, the main point of the uh, passage, but It's really helpful to us in recalibrating our perspective on the Sabbath and on all of God's law. uh, Recalibrating that um, to God's intent for it. So we've been looking at the life of Jesus Christ through Luke's gospel. And we've been learning about his person, who he is, and his works, you know, what he's done uh, on our behalf. And we've discovered that it's for our good, right? Uh, Jesus Christ came for us, for our good. And in our text, Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And we need to remember, in light of what we, um, we know about him already, he came for our good. This business about the Sabbath is supposed to be for our good. It's supposed to be good news for people who need his mercy. Right? For people who need his mercy, the fact that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath is supposed to be encouraging, comforting, positive news. So any conception of the Sabbath or the Lord's Day Uh, I'll use those interchangeably. Um, Any conception of that that leaves us feeling nervous? Uh, Or like God intends to lay a heavy burden on us with the Sabbath? Is it probably just way off? Um, So let's figure out what it means that it's good news that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's um, pray and then we'll read from Luke's gospel together. Father, as we consider your word, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Would you uh, transform our minds and renew our hearts so that we would see Jesus clearly and not just see him, but uh, respond well to him? We pray that your grace would encourage us and that we would, at the end of the day, be more like Jesus in all of our affections, in all of our thoughts the way that we view you and your word and what it means to be your people in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Don't you read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, it's a confusing passage. We'll talk about it. But once again, we see Jesus in conflict with the uh, Pharisees, the religious establishment, and it's very important for us to see that this happens over and over again in the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, uh, throughout all of them. We see opposition to Jesus coming not from irreligious people. Uh, It's one of the main themes of the Gospel, is that Jesus is opposed to, when he comes, and he's not opposed by the irreligious people. He's opposed by the religious people. They're the ones who argue with him, who try to catch him in his words, and ultimately lead the charge in murdering him. It's a huge theme throughout each of the Gospels, and um, one of the things it points out is that our religious assumptions are usually wrong, right? Our religious assumptions are usually wrong. We tend to operate unthinkingly out of our religious assumptions, but they're usually wrong and they need to be examined. They need to be overturned, overthrown. Um, But here's what God tells us about the Sabbath from the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You Or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And in Deuteronomy, uh, the second time the Ten Commandments are given, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, here's the reason... That God gives for keeping the command the commandment on the Sabbath, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day is grounded. We're supposed to see reason for it in creation and in our salvation, in our redemption, in our being bought out of slavery. And, um, and here's how serious God is about the observance of the Sabbath. I mean, it's a matter of life and death. It's a pretty serious deal. Exodus chapter 31, the Lord said to Moses, You're to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because, because it is holy for you everyone who profanes it shall be put to death whoever does any work on it that soul shall be cut off from among his people six days shall work be done the seventh day is a sabbath of solemn rest holy to the lord whoever does any work on the sabbath day shall be put to death therefore the people of israel shall keep the sabbath observing observing the sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever it's a sign forever between me and the people of israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So, what about you? You hear about that, you read that passage. There's potential for some strong cognitive dissonance there, right? Um, The Sabbath is a remembrance of divine resting and refreshment. I mean, this is, we can't even begin to articulate or understand the level of joy and pleasure and delight that God Himself has in this Sabbath. And that's what's being communicated. That's what we're supposed to reflect on and remember. It's a celebration also of our deliverance from slavery, you know, uh, from the slavery that we, we're all in uh, because of our sin. Right? And anyone, anyone who violates this sign of remembering these amazing, beautiful, wonderful things, anyone who violates that is dead put to death for not happily remembering God's grace to you so it makes a lot of sense to put um, to put restrictions around it doesn't it to put to protect that above all you're going to keep my Sabbath so it makes sense to put restrictions around it Our religious assumptions kick in, and we instinctively know what we've got to do in order to stay alive, right? Lots of rules. Do it right. Well, in our text, verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And uh, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So right there, I mean, the Pharisees have constructed all of these restrictions around the Sabbath And if you go to uh, Israel today, you can talk to Joe Edwards about all the crazy stuff that they do to uh, observe the Sabbath. It's very, very strict religious observances. Uh, Like, what, not pushing the button on the elevator? Yeah? That's too much work, (laughs) right? So, um, but that's been going on for thousands of years. The Jews, the the Pharisees in particular put restrictions around Sabbath, and they're not biblical restrictions. They're just added rules to make sure you don't actually violate the main rules of the Sabbath. But, Sabbath. On that Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields, which right there is a no-no, because you can only walk like a half a mile on the Sabbath, right, according to the Pharisees. But they're going through the grain fields, the disciples begin to pluck the heads of grain and they're rubbing them and eating, right, just not much, you're not going to get much food that way, but um, so you might think it seems a bit odd. It seems odd to me, actually, that they're going through the grain fields just taking other people's food, right? Uh, some farmer put in a lot of effort to make that stuff grow, and they're walking through, and they're just taking it. You might imagine planting a garden in your front yard and having strangers stop by and take your fruits and your vegetables. And, you know, but that's actually okay. That's actually okay. And uh, God's law make, made an explicit allowance for this. In Deuteronomy 23, it says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand that you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Right? So you're not supposed to go into someone's field with a tractor and harvest um, their crops, but if you're, if you're hungry, you can pick from their field and you can eat it. Right? Um, and this was a merciful allowance to the poor. This is another sermon, but it's a merciful allowance to the poor, and it teaches those who are wealthy, the landowners, um, it teaches them compassion and generosity. So that was okay, what they were doing. That actually wasn't the big problem for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were saying, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? It's not lawful on the Sabbath. For the Pharisees, what the disciples were doing constituted work. And actually, uh, they might have been right, kind of. They might have been right about that. Uh, Here's an explicit statement from the Scripture regarding the Sabbath, Exodus 34. Six days you shall work, the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Um, so when this stuff's ready to fall off the vine or the grain stalk or whatever, that stuff's ready for harvest, don't, don't touch it. Right? That's work. Um, so harvesting was a type of work that was forbidden by God's law. It might seem obvious to us. The disciples are hungry. This instance couldn't really be classified as them harvesting uh, or breaking the kind of no working rule of the Sabbath. You've got to ask them, Why are the Pharisees so uptight? And that's kind of what it boils down to. They're uptight, right? Um, In fact, it's kind of funny because they're out in the grain field too. They're probably breaking their own rules about not walking more than half a mile in order to follow Jesus and his disciples and complain about what they're doing. Um, The Pharisees had hopes that by keeping God's law, the people of Israel would regain God's favor. Um, they were living in Israel under Roman occupation and in their view um, they were in Roman occupation they were under Roman occupation because they had sinned and full obedience to the law was the prerequisite for their kingdom being restored for the kingdom of God to return to them right, to find God's favor again. We messed all this up by our sin Therefore, we've got to fix it by our law-keeping, our obedience, our righteousness. They thought that law-keeping was the key to Israel's freedom. They hoped that if they kept the Sabbath perfectly as a Jewish nation, then the Messiah would come and deliver them from all their oppressors. And uh, that was their hopes for the Messiah. right? Um, and, and there's something about that. There's, it's kind of what the Bible says. Right? Um, when Jerusalem... Hundreds of years before this, when Jerusalem was facing being deported into captivity in Babylon, this big conquering juggernaut that was just uh, destroying and capturing uh, people of of every nation around them, Jerusalem was facing invasion and captivity, and it was made clear that it was because of Israel's disobedience to God. Uh, And this is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. In Jeremiah 17, he wrote, Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden... By the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David. But if you don't listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So God's people faced this oppression. Ultimately, they went into captivity in Babylon because they didn't keep the Sabbath. And they would only be delivered if they listened to God and kept the Sabbath. And a few centuries later, one of their teachers even went so far as to say that Israel's redemption would only come when all the people kept two Sabbaths perfect. Two Sabbaths. We can do two weeks in a row. It's not even two full weeks. It's like eight days. If we can manage that perfectly, then um, Israel's redemption will come. And so the Pharisees lived. They lived by the idea, the religious assumption, that keeping the law would fix everything. We've just got to get back to the way things were, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of David, right? We need a, a king on the throne of David to restore the kingdom to Israel. Everything's broken because we violated the law. If we can just keep it, then the kingdom of God will arrive and everything will be made right and good again. So, Jesus, your disciples are setting us back. Now we've got to wait till the next Sabbath to try this again. They're delaying our freedom. Get them on board with the plan, man. You know? That's understandable, right? It's, um, we broke it by our evil deeds. Let's fix it by our good deeds. Don't you feel that way? Aren't these your religious assumptions, too? That we can fix everything if we just do everything right. Um, that It's not just the religious. I mean, our whole lives are like this. Like, this morning... Um, Evangeline, my daughter, put a half-eaten banana on the counter. That drives me nuts. And I'll, I'll yell and I'll scream and I'll bite her head off because of the little bit of mess that now I have to clean up. Now my world is not perfect. Would be perfect if people would just do what I wanted. Just do the right thing, right? Like, do the right thing and it'll be good. Everything will be fixed. No more brokenness, right? The kingdom of God if you just keep that banana off a counter. That, that's like a silly illustration, but the concept holds true, especially for religious assumptions. Things would go a lot better for our nation if, uh, if everyone were a good Christian, if we would all just live up to God's standards, if we just put those 10 commandments back on the courthouse. Right? Things would go a lot better for our nation Things would go a lot better with my children, or things would go a lot better at work if they would um, just obey God's word. Right. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's. But our religious assumptions are usually wrong, and Jesus goes ahead and dismantles them for us. Right. Jesus answered them, verses three and four. Haven't you read what David did when he was hungry? Your hero, right? You want to get back to the kingdom of David? Haven't you read what he did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Have you ever read this before and been a little confused by it? Is Jesus just saying, take it easy on my disciples, man, they're just hungry. I mean, it's okay to break the law when you're hungry. David did it, right? Uh, That's not what he's saying. That's not what he is saying. There's something really interesting about Jesus' reference here to 1 Samuel 21, which we read in our Old Testament reading. Thanks, Dave, for doing that. Um, Just before that passage, so 1 Samuel 20, uh, King Saul, who was the guy in charge of Israel at that time, not David, King Saul tried to kill David. And Saul's son, Jonathan, warned David, and he helped him to escape. So David is a fugitive. He's running from the authorities, and he's alone. He's alone. Um, And so David lied to the priest about being on God's business, and David lied to the priest about having men with him. David tricked the priest into giving him the holy bread, which... He should not have eaten. And uh, David's trickery ended up getting that priest killed and that priest's family killed and 80-something people from that town killed because Saul, the guy who was in charge, found out about it. Found out, oh, the priest helped David kill them all. And David even said after that had all gone down that he knew that that would happen. He knew that that would happen, and he confessed his guilt for occasioning all their deaths. So why did Jesus refer to this passage when the Pharisees accused him and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath commandment, breaking the law? It was because for the Pharisees, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of David was the prototype, it's the ideal, it's the golden age, right? Right? of the kingdom of God. They looked back to David's kingdom and said, "Those were the glory days." When everything was right between God and his people, when they enjoyed perfect freedom and dominion over their land. And that's what we want to get back to. And they thought that the way to renew the kingdom of God <coughs> was by keeping fastidiously the full law of God, especially the Sabbath. And in response to that idea, uh, Jesus uses irony, right? There's no quotes in the text, those air quotes that you need for expressing irony. But it's common for Jesus to use irony to call attention to details in the story. that uh, They're just problematic for them, right? David and those who were with him. Right? He ate the bread of the presence. It's not lawful for anybody of the priests to eat. He and those who were with him, Right? Jesus repeats it for emphasis. David was a coward. David was a liar. David was a breaker of God's law. He was a profaner and a desecrator of the Sabbath. He was guilty of murder. He was knowingly responsible for the deaths of an entire town of innocent people. And it was to that guy that God promised his kingdom. And it was that guy's descendants who would sit on the throne forever. God declared David of all people to be a man after his own heart, and he blessed him, and he was gracious to him. David didn't deserve it. God was gracious to him. And Ronald Kernigan says that the kingdom of David was the model for the dreams of independence in first century Judaism. Thus, with this brief and scathing reference to David, Jesus dismissed the entire theological structure upon which the Pharisees had built their hopes. David himself had broken the law, and an entire Israelite village had consequently been annihilated. Pharisaic rigor was not the premise on which the kingdom of David was founded, nor was it the appropriate measure of Jesus and his followers. The kingdom of God would not come at some point in the distant future when all Israel kept the Sabbath perfectly. Ironically, the reign of God was already present. The Pharisees didn't see it. the sabbath which they were saying if we just keep it we'll get this kingdom back the sabbath like the rest of the law it wasn't given to god's people for that reason and it wasn't given to enslave us it wasn't given to put a burden on us so that our fearful obedience might usher in hopefully god's redemptive power his kingdom if we could just do this would do the right thing then good will come right The Sabbath was given for spiritual refreshment, for physical refreshment, as a great symbol and a reminder of grace, of God's grace. You've got to remember grace, God said. And this is what the Pharisees had misunderstood about the whole law. You don't obey God in order to get his favor. You obey God because he has freely favored you already, because he's given you grace. Grace. You don't have to be nervous about your obedience. You don't have to wonder if you're doing it right, if you're doing it good enough. You just be joyful about your obedience as an expression of your freedom because of God's grace. The Sabbath was meant to be a beautiful reminder of this, that the God who made all things, he caps off his creation with, with a joyful celebration and refreshment. It's like party time, right, after he made everything. That that this God was the deliverer of his people and it's by his gracious work alone that they're going to be saved and set free. It's a beautiful reminder that, that you may know that it is the Lord who sanctifies you, he says. So is resting from your work, the Sabbath, you know, just a, one commandment among all God's law, is, is resting from your work in order to worship on the Lord's day something you feel you've just got to do in order to be okay like you just got to do that right for things to be right do you worry that maybe you're not doing it quite right what am i supposed to do what am i not supposed to do is that what's going on inside of you i mean that happens to me all the time or is it truly a delight to remember god's free grace to you in jesus christ that's what we're here to do to remember god's grace to us is the lord's day an ordeal of holiness for you, the dreaded bane of little children everywhere, you know, or do you think about the good news of Jesus Christ and try to create an atmosphere of celebration and rest for everyone around you? God has organized the, the tracking of time itself to bless us and to remind us that we're blessed by his grace. One day in seven, set aside to remember his grace, a full day each week to remind us that we don't approach God because of anything we have done, but only through his goodwill. And this concept is is just completely foreign to us in our kind of standard religious assumptions about how things should work. We would never expect this. Our operating assumption is that, hey, if God made us, then he has the right to be a strict taskmaster requiring duty, duty, duty. Uh, but God loves us. He built into our calendar a great reminder that he is not the God of our legalistic imaginings, not a God who created us for hard labor. He's a God who made us for joy, for fellowship with him, who gives us good gifts that we don't deserve, who delights, God delights when we take pleasure in his gracious love. So Sunday is proof that God loves you and wants you to be happy. You've seen that maybe on a t-shirt. Beer is proof that God loves you and wants you to be happy. Sunday is proof that God loves you and wants you to be happy. It says in verse 5, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Right? Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. It's a, it's a title in the Old Testament used for the one who has all authority. He's the son of man. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who has all authority, but he's no hard taskmaster. He's no slave driver. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Go to him and find rest for your souls, he says. His authority is one of love and one of freedom. His power is found in the giving of his own life to save us and to sanctify us, to purify us for himself. And the one who has this authority, it's the authority that he, he gets, his self-sacrifice is the greatest expression of his authority. The one who has that authority is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so it's a day to remember. The Lord's day is a day to remember his authority, his resurrection, the power of life over death itself, even the death that we rightly deserve for breaking God's law. The Sabbath is a day for us to remember that. It's a wonderful thing to submit our lives to this Lord because he first gave his life for you. He first loved you. He gave his life for you to be eternally gracious to you, to be infinitely gracious to you. So if anything's to go right in your life, if anything's to go right in your future, your eternal future, if anything's to go right in your family, if anything's to become right with your workplace or in our nation, if anything is to change for the better in the history of the universe, you can be sure it's not because of who you are, it's not because of what you've done, how you've kept the law, how you've gotten others to keep the law, or what any of us could ever deserve or bring to pass, if anything good happens, it's because of the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who gave himself to fix everything, because he's willing to show you favor and give you rest that you don't deserve to the point of enduring his own death for you. So don't insult um, his grace. Don't insult his grace by turning the Sabbath or any of his law into kind of a cheap mechanism to merit his approval. That's not what it's for. Enjoy his grace by remembering it and celebrating and resting in his love, which is what our obedience is. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, these concepts are pretty foreign to us because our religious assumptions are so deep and deeply ingrained in our being. But we know that um, you are God and we are not, and so you can tell us how things are and uh, we should listen. We pray for your help again that we have been able to listen um, that we've been able to have ears that can hear and hearts that can receive this and to be changed. Would you uh, remove, would you undermine and, and wipe away our legalistic religious assumptions that if we can just live and do the right things, then you will love us and make everything good? Would you take that away from us? Would you fix our eyes on Christ, who alone is Lord? Who alone is perfect and who uh, has grace upon grace for people like us in spite of the fact that we will never live up to your law. Would you remind us of that grace now and every Sabbath, every Lord's Day, even every day, so that we would be able to live more and more in light of your self-sacrificial love for us and to be changed by it into the likeness of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.